Okay, we're in Luke 15 today. Are you amazed by Jesus? I'm amazed by Jesus. Think of Jesus. Jesus had the ability to attract lost sinners. And did you know they actually came to him? And by the way, not not because Jesus catered to them. Uh, Jesus never compromised the message. But he cared for them. And people saw that he was genuinely caring for them. He understood people's needs, and he tried to help them. That's the way I want to be. I hope that's the way you want to be. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus speaks three parables. A parable has been described uh, by some as just an earthly story with heavenly meaning to it. But uh, these stories are Jesus' teachings about some great spiritual truths that we want to grasp a hold of today. And these particular parables were actually answers to the accusations that the religious leaders of Israel were, were throwing at Jesus. Jesus was scandalized uh, because of his behavior. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a moment, but I like what C.S. Lewis said one time, he said, Joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven, and it is. And we're going to see a lot of joy in this, in, the, in this whole chapter, in fact. And it is a joy in which you can share, friends. And I, I hope that sounds really good to you, because in, in a world that's really messed up and dark, we need joy. We need joy. But the question is, how do we get joy? Well, let's look at the words of the living God right here in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Verse 11, it says, And he, that's Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive, he was lost, and is found. Here's the main idea. Really, it's the main idea for the entire chapter, that it's all about God's joy at recovering lost sinners. God's joy at recovering lost sinners. He rejoices when people come to him. Well, how do we know this? Well, we need to first of all look at the context. You never want to look at a text without the context. You can come to wrong conclusions if you do that. So look at verse 1, because we're, let's answer some questions here. Those of you who have the, uh, the handout for you, you'll see several questions on the, on the paper there. But notice, number one, who Jesus was talking to. So that text we just read comes within a greater context And verse 1 tells us Jesus is talking to sinners as well as the religious leaders of Israel, particularly the the Pharisees and the scribes of Israel. Now notice the religious leaders of Israel are grumbling. They're not happy. You, You could say they're throwing their toys out of the cot. Right? You know those kind of people. And why are they doing this? Because the text tells you there that Jesus is actually receiving sinners. Oh, what a scandal. Jesus, rabbi of Israel, is receiving sinners. Uh, that's, That's scandalous for the religious leaders of Israel. And you say, well... I need to, maybe I need to understand a little bit more about these sinners. Who, who is the text talking about here? What sinners? Well, there's two groups of people that re- the religious leaders of Israel would never eat a meal with. Because if you're a religious leader of Israel, you can be corrupted by eating meals with sinners. Now, notice the first group is the evil tax collectors. Right? You mean, why are. I mean, they, they were despised traders who extorted money from their fellow Jews just to fill the coffers and, the, and Rome's treasury. And then there were the sinners, 
the non-religious and the the unrighteous outcast of Israeli society. So no self-respecting Pharisee would ever allow himself to be polluted and corrupted by such despicable people as tax collectors and sinners. However, there is one person here who's not affected by sinners and tax collectors. Jesus here, notice, associated with these despicable outcasts of Jewish society. So you might ask, why would the king of heaven do this such a thing? Well, he's going to answer that in chapter 19. Because Jesus says in chapter 19, he's on a mission. And his mission in chapter 19 is to seek and to save the lost. The tax collectors and the sinners were lost. They needed needed a Savior to seek them out and save them. And as a result, that mission brought great joy to God. So as we look at the, the, the parable, it's often called the parable of the prodigal son, you need to keep that context in mind. Jesus is talking to sinners and religious leaders. But this story has some characters, and all good, all good stories have three characters, don't they? Well, not necessarily, but this one does. There's three characters we need to think about here. And as we look at the three characters from the text, you need to ask the question, which one am I more like? Which one are you more like? The first character, we'll just go in order of the text, is the younger son. The younger son, by the way, this is not an attack on the birth order, okay? So uh, I'm not going there. But notice, how does Jesus describe the character of the younger son? So if you're the younger son, don't feel too bad, right? But first of all, we see in the text here, the younger son was rebellious. He was rebellious. He rebelled in verses 11 through 16. By the way, you need to to note, uh, I hope you never do what he did. I mean, imagine you going to your father who is still alive and asking for your inheritance. Or asking to look at the will and say, hey, what am I getting out of your will? I'd like to know. I mean, how rude would that be? Uh, There's elbows going around. Yeah, I can see them. You need to understand something. We often have barriers when we come to the biblical text because we we don't understand the culture. So you need to understand the culture. See, according to Jewish law, an elder son actually received twice as much as the other sons. You can read that in Deuteronomy. And a father, by the way, could distribute his wealth while he was still alive, <laughs> if he wanted to do that. and it, So it was perfectly legal for the younger son to ask for his share of the estate. However, it was extremely unloving and rude to do so. Because basically the younger son is saying, Hey, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I wish you were dead. I mean, how rude is that? How unloving is it? I wish you were dead. We would never say that out loud, but it's implied. There's a lot we can learn from this. I mean, we're always heading for trouble, by the way, whenever we value things more than people. 
it, it, you're in trouble when you value pleasure more than duty. And you, you're valuing the distant places of life more than the blessings God gives you at home. By the way, Jesus actually warns us about this very thing in chapter 12. He warned two disputing brothers. He says this, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, why would Jesus say that? (laughs) Jesus knows. He understands. Because the covetous person can never be satisfied. And it doesn't matter how much a covetous person acquires, because a dissatisfied heart will lead to a very disappointed life. You will never be satisfied with your life if you're covetous. Jesus understood that. And here the prodigal learned the hard way that you cannot enjoy the things that money can buy if you then go ahead and ignore all the things that money cannot buy for yourself. And by the way, notice the text mentions the far country. He went to the far country. By the way, the far country is not necessarily a distant place to which you have to travel to. The reality is the far country exists in every one of our hearts. And you have to resist that. See, the younger son dreamed of enjoying his freedom far from home. And he wanted to get away from his father and the, the, the mean ogre of the older brother. He wanted to leave. He wanted to have his own way. And he rebelled against his own father. And in the process broke his father's heart. But because he was covetous, he was never satisfied. His life in the far country was not what he expected. And the biblical text tells us his resources ran out. His friends left them because they were never really friends, right? Uh, the, The famine comes along, and then he's forced to actually do for a stranger what he would never do for his father, which is work. And so this scene is Jesus' way of emphasizing uh, for us what sin really does in the lives of people who reject God's will. Beware of rejecting God's will. See, friends, sin promises freedom. I I hope you've heard this saying before that sin always over-promises and under-delivers. Always over-promises and under-delivers. We have another example of this here in Jesus' teaching. See, it it, it brings slavery, Jesus says in John 8. It it promises you you success, but only brings you failure. It promises life, but Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. See, the prodigal thought, hey, I'm going to go find myself. I'm going to get away from the restraints of my family and this pitiful place I live in, and I'm going to go off to this far country and and find myself. I'm going to follow my heart, because that's what Disney tells me to do. And then I'm going to find my identity and no longer have a crisis. Right? Sound familiar? Yeah. The prodigal thought he'd find himself, but what happened? He only lost himself. And so when God is left out of your life, guess what? Enjoyment is going to bring enslavement. Freedom is not doing whatever you want. That's enslavement. Now, friends, here's the good news, because not only did he rebel, the good news is Jesus says he repented. So you want joy in life? Joy doesn't come by following your heart. 
that brings you enslavement. Joy comes by repenting and doing God's will. And you say, well, what is repentance? Uh, the word repent literally means to change your mind, particularly in regard to your sin. And that is exactly what the younger man did there as he's caring for the pigs. I'm curious, any of you ever cared for pigs? Yeah, we got one shaking your head here. I've cared for pigs too, by the way. Don't, aren't pigs just lovely? There, there's, and I'm not, for those of you who are city slickers and you've watched the movie Babe, that, that is not a normal pig, okay? So don't think of pigs here as the babe, you know, that, no, not the same thing, okay? Pigs were disgusting. Pigs are disgusting. And they eat, they'll eat virtually everything. In fact, those of us who are hunters, sometimes if you want to get a pig, one of the best ways you can get a pig is you shoot a goat and you leave, you leave that dirty, disgusting goat to rot and corrupt and it draws the pigs in because they'll eat anything. In fact, they'll eat their own kind. They're disgusting. I mean, I used to slop the pigs. We called it slop because it was all the leftover stuff from our dinners, right? You just throw everything in. It didn't matter what it smelled like and how bad or rotten it was, and the pigs would eat anything. In Jewish culture, they didn't like pigs, which is why in your Old Testament, Jews weren't allowed to even eat pigs. <laughs> so you need to understand the, the culture here. Here he is. He's caring for the pigs. I mean, what a job for a Jewish man to be doing. And notice the text, by the way, here says, while he's doing this dirty, disgusting job, which no Jew would should be doing, the Bible says he came to himself. That's an interesting phrase. That's suggesting, by the way, that up to this point he hadn't really been himself. And, and, and this, is, this is a good picture of insanity, is it not? There's an insanity in our sin that seems to paralyze the image of God within us. And this young man, praise God, changed his mind about himself and his situation, and he admitted that he was a sinner. And so he repented. But what does he do? He confessed that his father was a generous man, and that service at home was far better than following my heart in the far country. By the way, it's God's goodness, the Bible says, not, not just mankind's badness that often leads us to repentance. Read Romans 2. If the prodigal had thought only about himself, if he'd only thought about my grumbling stomach that's hungry, or my homesickness, or my loneliness, or these despicable pigs, it probably would have led him to despair. But his painful circumstances here actually helped him to see his father in a new light, in a, in a new way. And this brought him hope. I mean, if his father was so good to the servants, maybe he'd be willing to forgive a son. By the way, if he had stopped there, the prodigal would have experienced only regret and remorse, which is not repentance, the Bible says. But true repentance actually involves your will as well as your mind and your emotions. And that's why here in this text, 
the younger son says, I will arise, I will go, and I will say. See, sometimes our resolutions might be very noble things. They might be good things, but unless you actually act on them, they can never of themselves bring any permanent good in your life. And so in repentance here, notice, if repentance is truly the work of God, and it is, then a sinner's going to obey God. A sinner's going to uh, put saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's the imagery here. And then as a result of that, number three, he experienced joy. There's a lot of joy in this passage, along with the bad news. The prodigal son, he comes to his father, he confesses. Well, he tried to confess, he never finished that. Um, but nevertheless, we see the father honored his son. I'll talk more about that when we get to the father. But the lost son, what an amazing story. He's welcomed back into the family. He's received, and the father throws this lavish, great feast in his honor. But some people look at this. We often, in fact, the, the probably the, the, even, the, the title for this parable in your Bible sometimes even calls it the parable of the prodigal son, right? But did you know the prodigal son is not the main, the main character of this story? He's not. Not the main character. Some have actually called this the parable of the loving father. That's probably an more appropriate title. So let's look at the second character, the father. Now the father in this story is a, a very good picture of our heavenly father, You say, why? For several reasons. Look what Jesus says about the father. Number one, this father here was longing for the return of the sinner. He was longing for the return of the sinner. Look look in your Bibles at verse 20. This is amazing. Verse 20, it says, He arose and came to his father, the prodigal did. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is an amazing story. Notice, before the prodigal son even enters into the village, Jesus says there in verse 20, while he's still a very long way off, his father saw him. In other words, what's going on? The father had been watching all along. He had been waiting. He was suffering silently, hoping that one day his lost son would return and as a result the father was shattering all cultural expectations let let me just tell you some of them right because we have cultural barriers here we're not getting right here's what one commentator said quoting it's on the screen for you the scribes and the pharisees by the way that's whom jesus one of the groups jesus is talking to the scribes and pharisees would have expected that if the son did return The father, to maintain his own honor, would initially refuse to see him. Instead, he would make him sit in the village outside the gate of the family home for days in shame and disgrace. When he did finally grant his son an audience, it would be a cool reception as the son humbled himself before his father. He'd be expected to tell his son what works he would need to perform to make full restitution for his prodigality and for how long before he could be reconciled as a son to his father, end quote. 
That was the expectation. And so that's one reason why the father's looking. He's ready, and he's, he's going to be the first one to meet his son. And when he does meet him, notice number two what he does. He welcomes his repentant son back into the family, and he doesn't shame and disgrace him. He is eager to forgive. He is eager to forgive. How do we know he's forgiving? Because of what the text says in verse 20. Friends, you need to understand, this story is shocking. This is not what the scribes and Pharisees would have expected a rabbi to teach. No rabbi would ever teach this way. Why? Because in the Middle East, number one, old noblemen do not run. And it's not because they can't run. It's because they would never do this because it's shameful. Right? You need to understand, in the East, they live in an honor culture. Honor is everything. It is your whole identity. And, and you, you have to understand that when you, when you come to a, a book like Proverbs, where it says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Absolutely. In an honor culture, it's everything. You do not shame yourself nor your family. See, here's the problem. You say, well, what's wrong with running? And we see the father running to meet his son. But you say, well, what's wrong with running? Here's the problem. Running meant the father would have to hike up his robe and expose his bare legs in public. That's shameful. You don't do that in public. That was considered shameful. And so what is he doing here? He's taking the shame on himself to prevent shame on his son. That's love. That is a literal illustration of love. And by the way, even more shocking here was the what the father did when he actually reached his prodigal son. Because notice what verse 20 says. Not only is he showing off his white legs, he embraced his son. May I remind you, this son has just been with pigs. Jody, do pigs smell good? Okay. I should have known better than to ask someone in our congregation, because everybody in our congregation loves to ruin my illustrations. Pigs are disgusting. They are smelly. They, they, they just don't care about their looks and how they smell. They don't take a shower every day. And if you try to give them one, they rebel. And so this guy's just been with the smelly pigs. He's filthy. He's disgusting. But the father doesn't care. He embraces the filthiness. And his son's been wearing awful rags, but he doesn't care. And then it gets even worse because the father kissed his lost son. And so if you're a germaphobe, if you're one of those, you never touch and kiss something that has germs. And that's exactly what he does. He, he, he's just exuberant here in his love for his lost son. What a clear gesture, by the way, of true acceptance and love and forgiveness and reconciliation. You say, why? Why? Well, there's some other things in the text that make it pretty obvious. Uh, one, one obvious reason for his love for him and his desire to show that love 
Uh, well, you need to understand there's a lot going on here. There, there's something else involved here. See, the wayward son had brought disgrace, not just to the father, but to the entire family, which then carried over to the village. In that culture, you didn't do that thing. This wayward son had brought disgrace to his family in the village. And by the way, according to Deuteronomy chapter 1, do you know what that son deserved? That son should have been stoned to death because he was rebellious. He deserved to be stoned to death. And if the neighbors had started to stone this son and actually got to him first, they would have had to hit the father who was actually embracing and kissing his son. What a vivid, again, a vivid illustration of what Christ does for lost sinners. He takes the place, receives the father's wrath. Well, at last we see here the the father's determined to reach his son before his son enters the village with the intent, by the way, to protect him from all of the the shame and the scorn and the abuse that was probably going to be heaped upon him by all the villagers. And you say, well, what what saved him from all of that? (laughs) What saved him, the text says, is the father's compassion is what spurred him into action before that abuse could start. What a beautiful picture, is it not? The father pictures, by the way, to us the attitude of the heavenly father towards sinners who repent, towards sinners who change their mind. Ephesians chapter 2 says God is rich in mercy and grace, and he is great in love toward repentant sinners. And by the way, all of this is possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. You could never do this without Christ. And so the son's reception here is an illustration of believers who who come to God in repentance and faith, pleading for God's grace and forgiveness and receiving, as Romans says, you receive full adoption as sons. Read Romans 8. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible. But it gets even better. Look at this. Here, we need to understand the character of the father. Number three, he loved his son because his son was so awesome. No, that is not in the Bible, okay, in case you're wondering. That is not in the Bible. No, he loved his son even though this son was unlovable. What a true picture of God toward sinners. See, everything the son had hoped to find in the far country he actually discovered back home. What what did he need? He needed food, clothes. He didn't need jewelry, but he got that. He, He received friends, a joyful celebration, love and assurance for the future. All of those things under the Father's love was for him. And you say, well, what made the difference? What made the difference? Good question. Instead of saying, Father, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want, I need, or whatever. No, he said, Father, make me. That's the difference. Do you see the attitude of the heart here? He's willing to be a servant. Of course, the Father did not ask him to earn forgiveness. You know, don't go say 500 prayers and walk on your knees up a hill or 
you know, get baptized or whatever, right? And he didn't, he didn't do any of that because no amount of good works can save you from your sins. Ephesians 2 is very clear, right? You're not saved by works. By grace through faith in Christ. And so, no amount of good works could save him. So, the good news, though, is in the far country, the prodigal learned some good things. He learned some lessons. He learned the meaning of misery. Back home, he discovered the meaning of mercy, and he was shown real love by the Father. You say, well, how do we know he's being shown real love? Well, there's three obvious ways in the text. Let me highlight them for you. Number one, the father gave him a ring. And not just any ring, by the way. The father gave him his own ring. There's something significant about this ring, because notice what the text says. This ring given to the former prodigal son was a sign of sonship. It was a sign of authority. This ring was the father's signet ring. That Every time the hot wax would go on some document, the father would put his his symbol into the hot wax. Stamp that wax seal on the documents. And then so that act, therefore, signified the father was giving rights and authority to his son. Not because he's awesome, but because the father loved him. The other thing the father, the other way the the father shows love, notice number two, the father gave him the best robe. By the way, the best robe always belonged to the Father. The best robe not only belonged to the Father, but it was was the robe the Father only brought out for very special occasions, like weddings, for example. And so this was proof of his acceptance back into the family. See, friends, servants did not wear rings. Servants did not wear shoes. Servants did not wear best robes. And see... Servants did not receive feast. And so the feast was the Father's way of showing his joy and his love. And, and another way is shown here is the lost son received a fattened calf. This is really special. See, a fattened calf was reserved for only very special occasions. It was the best of the best. This fattened calf was said it, it, it could feed the entire village. It was very expensive. And so the fattened calf would be reserved for, for, again, for only very special occasions like weddings, for example. And had the prodigal been dealt with according to Jewish law, there would have been a funeral, not a feast. But he got a feast. And that is a beautiful illustration of these precious words in Psalm 103. Look at this. Psalm 103 says, that God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear Him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Of course he does. He created us from dust on day six. Now look at verse 24. This is awesome. Because in verse 24 we have the Father's description 
of his son's experience. The, the summation of his, father, of his son's experience is that my son was dead, but now he's alive. My son was lost, but now he is found. And as a result, all of heaven is rejoicing at the rescue of a lost sinner. My friends, this is the spiritual experience of every lost sinner that runs to Christ to receive forgiveness for their sin. All whose faith is in Christ is going to have a celebration, this great feast. There's one more character in this story we need to think about. The eldest son. Remember, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of Israel. They need to be taught a lesson. What is his character like? What's the eldest son's character life? Notice, just quickly think about some things. Number one, he was self-righteous. He was self-righteous. Did you notice as we read the text, the eldest son openly and quite freely announces all the sins of his brother? Right? Right? You got a huge tree sticking out of his eye, and then he wants to go and pick the little speck out of his brother's eye. Hmm, Jesus had something to say about that, didn't he? Yeah, that's exactly what's happened here. Human nature, is it not? We have a hard time seeing our own sins, while everybody else's sins are really obvious to us. <laughs> I put myself in that category, too. It's interesting, though, the Pharisees. Jesus, over and over again, as he talks to them, one of the things you, you learn in Jesus' teachings is the Pharisees describe sin primarily in terms of outward actions, not internal attitudes. And so, for example, that's why when you read Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's, like in chapter 6, for example, Jesus, as he talks about what is written in Holy Scripture, he says, oh, you've heard it in Scripture as this. But I say unto you, and then Jesus proceeds to raise the bar and talk about, it's not just an outward thing, right? What's going on inside you, right? Right? Do not commit adultery. That's what the Bible says. What does Jesus say? What's going on inside the person? Are you lusting after other women, right? You get the point? So Jesus is always doing that sort of thing, showing the Pharisees and others, that sin is not primarily in terms of outward actions. You can sin with your mind. But this person is self-righteous, can't seem to see their own sin, and freely willing to talk about everybody else's sin, including his father's, very disrespectful to his father. Why would he do that? Because he's proud. That's the second thing. He's proud. Did you notice what he told his father? He said that he would never disobey his father's will. Really? <laughs> yeah. His heart was not in his work. He did not work to please his father. And in fact, it's interesting in the Greek, the original language of this text here, he actually calls himself a doulos. You know what a doulos is? He doesn't even see himself as a son to his father. A doulos is a slave. 
that's how he sees himself. I'm a slave. I'm here to serve you. Yeah, he was proud. Number three, he was unconcerned for the lost. Here you, you have, you, what, what a contrast between the father and the elder son. What's the father doing? He's watching for the younger son day after day, and he finally sees him afar off, and he runs and receives him and forgives him and welcomes him back into the family. But what's the elder brother doing? He doesn't even know his brother's home until the servant had to tell him what's going on. <laughs> yeah, he's not even concerned. He doesn't want to even see his brother again. And when he sees his brother, here's number four, and he hears about his brother, he's angry. What a different reception from the father. (laughs) He's angry. In fact, he's angry at not just his younger brother, but he's angry at his father. The older, elder brother was angry with his father. You say, well, why? Because his father's given the younger son the feast that the elder brother had always wanted. Did you see that? I wanted to celebrate with my friends. Oh, I don't care about you, Father, but I want to celebrate with my friends. You, you never gave me anything. You didn't even give me a goat, let alone a fattened calf. You killed for him the valuable fatted calf. And so the elder brother's dreams are all shattered because the father's forgiven the prodigal son. But the elder brother was angry at his younger brother. Isn't this typical? Because the younger brother is getting all the attention. By the way, I'm an elder brother. I'm the oldest in my family. I understand what this is like. So of all of us older siblings, let's just get together afterward and we'll have a little powwow. And so so he's receiving the father's special gifts even though, of course, the younger one never rece- never deserves it, right? Sorry. But as far as the elder brother was concerned, the younger brother deserves none of that attention. And had the prodigal been faithful? Well, maybe he would have, maybe, but no, he wasn't faithful, so he didn't deserve it. Did the younger son honor the father? No way. He was disrespectful, just like the elder brother's being. You say, why should he be treated with such kindness and love? Well, here's something for you to consider. Did you remember in the testimony we just heard moments ago? Does God really love you? We just we heard that question, didn't we, in the testimony? Does God really love you? That is a really important question. I mean, after all, everybody, everybody in this room and on planet Earth has rejected God. We've all wandered off into far countries. We've all spent the good, the, these good gifts that God's given to us, not for His honor and glory, but for our own selfish ends and, and often in sinful pursuits. But what is God's attitude toward us right now? You want to know right now, how does God think about you? Well, God, like the father in the prodigal story here, is watching for you. And when you turn to God, guess what? God comes and he greets you. He assures you of his unchanging love. His love cannot change. It remains stable and consistent. 
But there's an older son in this story here who represents the scribes and Pharisees. This son was unmoved by his brother's return. In fact, as we saw, he's angry. He criticizes his father because he doesn't really have a relationship with his father. He doesn't even want to call him father in the text. He's so disrespectful, he doesn't even use that relationship there. And in his anger, the older brother refused his father's love. The father had to go out during the feast and talk to the older son. That, too, was disrespectful. And so, my friends, please don't reject the Heavenly Father's love for you. He does love you. But the story raises a vital question. Those of you who have the notes, look at the bottom of your page, because you need to ask this question, whose character do I bear? Whose character do you bear? There's three options here. There's three options. Which one best represents you? You need to think about this deeply, because there is an eternity at stake here. There's an eternity at stake. Everything is on the line. Number one, notice the repentant saint. Notice what I just called him, a saint. So questions for you, friend. Have you come to God in humility? Have you come to God in humility? Because Jesus says in the first beatitude, you must come poor in spirit, empty-handed, because you have nothing to offer him that he wants. Nothing. You're filthy, and you're wearing rags, and you stink. You have nothing good to offer him. Are you the, a, a representative of the loving Father? Can, can you relate to loving the unlovable? Can you? I know that's hard to do. Are you able to welcome sinners? Are you rejoicing when the lost are rescued? Or do you sit in the corner and have a pouty fest? I hope not, because there's a lot of rejoicing going on in this chapter. There's a lot of joy in heaven, even when one lost sheep is recovered. But maybe it's the unsaved son, the elder son, that best represents you. Friends, beware of pride. Are you proud? Are you proud? Watch out. It will keep you from an eternity with Jesus. Do you think you are better than Jesus? The scribes and Pharisees did. Remember the context? They're grumbling. Why are they grumbling up there in verse 1 and 2? Because they think they're better than Jesus. Because Jesus is sitting with sinners and tax collectors and loving them and caring for them and rejoicing when tax collectors and sinners are recovered. Ooh, don't think you're better than Jesus, because we're not. Friends, God welcomes, forgives, and rejoices over repentant sinners. We all need to do that. (laughs) So how about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the evident joy that we have seen. We're we're thankful that you're a God who has emotions that is driven by truth. We're thankful that you're a God who is looking out and caring for sinners and tax collectors. 
the treasonous people and the outcast of society are loved not because we're awesome, but because you are. May we have the same kind of attitude and love as the father in this story. May every single one of us repent as the younger son did and run to the father to find forgiveness, to be welcomed, to, to, to understand what real joy looks like and acts like and talks like and thinks like. May we understand joy. And those in this room who have never experienced real joy, they, they don't know what rejoicing in heaven is like. May they come to Christ today to, to understand His love. May their sins be forgiven. Would you cause them to run to Christ? Would you cause them to believe in Christ alone for salvation? And may they look to those in the room who, who do know God's love. May they experience that for themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.